Hong Kong is a tragedy. There are lots of tragedies in the world, and it's true that we can't fix all of them. But we must care about the arrested liberty in Hong Kong and in China. We have to care. Hong Kong is just the beginning of China's ambitions, and the Chinese people certainly care. Welcome to Acted Line, a podcast from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. In this episode, we're bringing you the keynote address from Mary Kissel at this year's Acton Institute annual dinner. Mary Kissel is executive vice president and senior policy advisor at Stevens Inc., a Little Rock, Arkansas-based, privately held financial services firm where she advises management and clients on foreign policy and geopolitical risk. Prior to joining Stevens, she served as senior advisor to U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo from October 2018 to January 2021. In that role, she provided advice to advance the national interests of the United States, conducted special projects for the secretary, and traveled to more than 60 countries. Kissel is also featured in Acton's latest documentary feature film, The Hong Konger, Jimmy Lai's Extraordinary Struggle for Freedom. Prior to her State Department appointment, Kissel was a member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, where she served as chief foreign policy writer and host of the Foreign Edition podcast, and as editorial page editor for Asia Pacific, based in Hong Kong. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash podcast. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, Father Sirico, Chris, the Acton staff, it is such an honor and a privilege to be here tonight, although I, I have to confess I was pretty surprised to be asked. You've had some big names at this event in the past, um, Buckley, Scalia, DeVos, standards must be slipping. <laughs> but you're stuck with me for 20 minutes. In all seriousness, uh, bless you all for giving me the opportunity to escape New York City. Uh, Just kidding, I moved to Florida a month ago. (laughs) This was, in fact, the second great escape that I've made in as many years. Uh, As those of you who have held government jobs will appreciate, I also escaped the State Department. But that's not why Father Sirico and Chris invited me here to speak to you all tonight. But I will say, Chris, you, you, you took the quote, but I'm going to use it anyway. Lord Acton, after whom this marvelous institution is named, wrote with great wisdom on liberty. It is, he said, as Chris said, the delicate fruit of a mature civilization. And in every age its progress has been beset by its natural enemies. Acton always told it like it was, or rather, like it is. During long intervals, he said, liberty has been utterly arrested. Utterly arrested. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We are now entering one of those long intervals of arrested liberty in many places around the world. Liberty's flame is being put out from Putin's bloodthirsty war in Ukraine to Iran's savage crackdown on its own people to the Taliban's women-hating capture of Afghanistan to the ongoing genocide of Uyghurs in communist China to the gangs roaming Haiti or Castro's thugs in Cuba, or the total impoverishment by its rulers in Venezuela, liberty's flame is being snuffed out. Those last three examples, by the way, are in our own hemisphere, closer to my home than Washington is. Even within these 50 states of ours, increasing numbers of our fellow citizens want more government-provided security, to have the state take care of us, rather than rely on our own self-initiative, our own moral compass, our Tocquevillian civic organizations or religious institutions. But I'm not going to dwell tonight on domestic matters. It's not my bailiwick. But let's remember, too, at least on that, what Lord Acton said. Men cannot be made good by the state, but they can easily be made bad. I'm so glad I'm out of the State Department. So tonight, I'd like to talk to you about the cause that the Acton Institute holds so dear, human freedom, and what I consider to be the greatest existential threat to that freedom, communist China. I should warn you that as a reward for listening to these remarks, you will all likely be classified by Beijing as enemies of the people, uh, I'm personally hoping for something more piquant, like Running Dog Mary or Capitalist <laughs> Rotor Kissel. So as Chris said, I, I hope that many of you have seen the remarkable documentary that Acton produced, The Hong Konger, which, as he said, tells the story of Jimmy Lai. Thank you. A democracy advocate, media tycoon who languishes in jail, even as we dine together tonight in Stanley Prison. Just to give you a sense of Stanley, Stanley was used by the Japanese during World War II as a POW camp. Uh, Jimmy was my mentor and is in fact the reason that I became acquainted with Acton. I moved to Hong Kong in 2004 to work as a foreign correspondent. Uh, back then it was a fabulous, freewheeling, very safe city. I, I remember vividly my first day there. I was walking down the mountain and through the chaos of Wan Chai Market, which smelled like a mix of raw fish, putrid meat, cigarettes, gas fumes. Uh, I tried to move through what seemed to be this never-ending stream of people, bargaining, yelling, moving. Everybody was on the move. And I thought to myself, you know, what, what have I done? <laughs> But it, it only took me a few days to realize that it was the best decision I had ever made. Um, Hong Kong Island, at that time, was officially the freest seven square miles in the world. It was a place where fortunes were made and lost every day. It was freedom's apex. It was absolutely exhilarating. Um, it was home to great characters like uh, long hair the rebel legislator with rock star hair, and film stars and famous tycoons with unimaginable fortunes. It was the home to my favorite place, the Foreign Correspondents Club, whose unofficial motto was a club for women with a past and men with no future. <laughs> it, 
It was a place where seemingly everyone carried multiple business cards, one for their day job, one for their import-export gig, one for their property venture. It was a place where everyday Hong Kongers, industrialists, mainlanders who fled the communists and adventurers of all nationalities and even a few rogues could make it. But my job was special. My job came with an introduction to Jimmy, who was a self-made man who had smuggled himself into the city as a teenager from the mainland. No formal education really to speak of, but he built a fortune on the back of his own ingenuity and hard work, and he loved Hong Kong. He called it, quote, another world that, quote, felt like heaven because it was so free. Jimmy knew every editorial page editor of the Wall Street Journal because he admired our defense of free markets and free people, much like all of you do. Uh, and I ran the editorial page at the time of the uh, Asian edition. I reported to Paul Gigot back in New York. Uh, Jimmy went into the newspaper business after the Tiananmen Square massacre because he thought that information was freedom and that, as he put it, it would be a wonderful business. Imagine that. And it was in that place and at that time. He didn't court tycoons. He didn't place bets at the ponies on the jockey club. He loved to spend time with his family and in his faith is a devout Catholic. He also loved to host people to debate how to further the cause of human freedom, usually over 20 or so plates of appetizers, mains, desserts, champagne, wine, tea, coffee, until everybody was stuffed silly and practically unable to stand. It was great practice, although I didn't know it at the time, for diplomatic dinners. <laughs> but what was bad for the body was immensely nourishing for the brain and for the soul. And I met many remarkable people over the years sitting at Jimmy's generous table, from economics Nobel laureates like Bob Mundell, to democracy advocates like Martin Lee, to brave men of God like Cardinal Zen. And it was at one of those lunches, actually, where I met Father Sirico and Chris. Uh, Jimmy deeply admires Father Sirico's work, as do we all. But I think it's safe to say that none of us back then would have anticipated the hell of unfreedom in which Jimmy and his Hong Kong compatriots find themselves today. When the Brits handed Hong Kong over to Communist China in 1997, the hope was that the territory and its way of life would conquer the mainland. China would become more like Hong Kong over time, a sort of Trojan horse for freedom. And this, of course, is the endless charm and the pitiful naivete of democracies like ours. We always hope for the best, even as history teaches us to expect the worst. So for four decades, we hoped that a nation of more than a billion people, with its great individualism, dynamism, and human spirit, would integrate into the wider world and enjoy the benefits of freedom. And there was reason to hope. China had a democracy movement, rarely mentioned ever, in the early 20th century. And it was actually a Chinese man, Peng Chung Chang, who helped draft the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights. He was the vice chair. Some understood the danger of a China that didn't integrate into the world, a China that didn't reform. Here's what Richard Nixon wrote in October of 1967. Quote, taking the long view, we simply cannot afford to leave China forever outside the family of nations, there to nurture its fantasies, cherish its hates, 
and threaten its neighbors, there is no place on this small planet for a billion of its potentially most able people to live in angry isolation. But we could go disastrously wrong if, in pursuing this long-range goal, we failed in the short range to read the lessons of history. The world cannot be safe until China changes. That was Richard Nixon in 1967. Well, China didn't change. We only deluded ourselves into thinking that it could. We deluded ourselves because money was had to be made from opening up China's massive market. It lulled our corporate leaders into saying and doing anything to defend their outsized profits. I once had a man sit in my office, CEO of a major American multinational, and he told me, Mary, everyone in China is happy. I said, what are you talking about? Everyone in China is happy. He said, well, that's what I see when they take me around to see my factories. <laughs> We deluded ourselves because our usual information sources also wanted access to this lucrative market. They still do. Our media didn't and doesn't report on the regime's deep corruption because they couldn't or they didn't want to. We deluded ourselves because our politicians found it easier to ignore how Beijing was cheating on pretty much every deal it ever signed, spying on us, infiltrating our societies, corrupting our international institutions, they didn't want to talk about it, and they didn't want to confront the problem. One ambassador in Hong Kong, over a rather large swig of beer, once gave me a rule of thumb that I will never forget. He said, Mary, how can we trust a leadership that doesn't trust its own people? Which brings me back to Jimmy, and why this little set of islands halfway around the world matters to us all here tonight. Jimmy always saw Hong Kong as the bellwether. If communist China could allow Hong Kong to maintain its basic freedoms, then China would eventually be free. The opposite, of course, was also true. The problem with communism is that it can't tolerate individual freedom ever. In a communist system, People are mere tools of the regime. Human life is meaningless. Human dignity doesn't exist. Individualism has no worth. The only thing that matters is your contribution to the collective and to the party. And there is no absolute truth, only the party's truth. There is no God. There's only the party. That's why the Vatican's deal with Beijing to consecrate bishops was always doomed to fail. I think it's an embarrassment that the Holy See continues to defend it. I think it's a moral abomination. Of course, communism, thank you. Of course, communism is also inherently corrupt as a system. It always and everywhere results in the concentration of power in the hands of a despot or despots. The regime's leaders especially General Secretary Xi Jinping, are the ultimate hypocrites. They send their children to places like Harvard and Stanford, institutions which, by the way, are also complicit in the hypocrisy. These leaders, they squirrel their money away in foreign places, and they dine at home in places in Beijing that are set aside only for the party elites. There's one system for party members. There's another system for the rest of the 1.4 billion people of China. That's the real one party, 
two systems that Beijing respects. Communism corrupts everything that it touches and everyone who touches it inside and out. It's like a cancer. This is the reality of the People's Republic today. Everyone who lives in China knows it. Everyone who is Chinese who lives outside of China knows it. Everyone in our great Chinese-American community knows it. China may have stood up with Mao, but we woke up only recently to what that really meant for China's people, for us, and for the world. Beijing and its proxies are to blame for killing free Hong Kong, but we in the West played a role too. We never exacted penalties for China's bad behavior. The party suffered no consequences for its aggressions against its own people and its neighbors. They turned an entire province of Tibet into an open-air prison, and we did nothing. They've done the same in Xinjiang, and we've done next to nothing. They illegally built, they militarized islands in the South China Sea, and we did nothing. They violated the territorial waters of Japan, Taiwan, the Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Australia, and the borderlands of India, and we did nothing. As the bard wrote in King Lear, nothing will come of nothing. In March 2019, the Hong Kong government introduced an amendment to something called the Fugitive Offenders Ordinance, which would allow authorities to extradite anyone in Hong Kong over the border where anything could happen to them. The bill was the beginning of the end of Jimmy's Hong Kong. Even though Beijing had promised the territory 50 years of freedom after the handover, I organized for Secretary Pompeo to meet Jimmy and to get a personal, private, first-hand account of what was at stake, which he did in July of that year, but you will not find that mentioned on Wikipedia. State Department didn't like that very much either. They didn't want to put a statement out, but after some gentle arm twisting, we got them to put out two sentences acknowledging that the meeting mattered. And surprisingly, World War III did not break out because we put out a two-sentence press release. But really, there was very little we could do to reverse the inevitable chain of events. Communist China owns Hong Kong. It's not like Putin invading the sovereign nation of Ukraine. When the CCP's crackdown on democracies, protesters began, we weren't going to send in troops. We couldn't. In June 2020, the national security law of Hong Kong formally passed, and it destroyed the territory's rule of law for good. In December, after a series of court hearings, Jimmy was jailed on trumped-up charges alongside hundreds of thousands of other innocent Hong Kongers. He'll probably never be a free man again, although for him and his family, I pray that, that he will be. So Hong Kong is just another mainland Chinese city, no freedoms. If the government doesn't want you to leave, you can't. It's East Berlin again in Chinese form. We've seen a sophisticated, modern, freewheeling metropolis transformed into a relentless, pitiless, surveillance state while the world watches. And Chairman Xi wants Taiwan to be next. And after that, other nations in Asia. And after that, us. Hong Kong is a tragedy. There are lots of tragedies in the world, and it's true that we can't fix all of them, but we must care about the arrested liberty in Hong Kong and in China. We have to care. Hong Kong is just the beginning of China's ambitions, and the Chinese people certainly care. 
watch the documentary. It is remarkable to see the bravery of so many to advocate for their freedom in Hong Kong and all over the world. In Beijing this past weekend, a man draped a banner over a highway right before the 20th Party Congress started, and it read, quote, we want votes, not leaders. We want dignity, not lies. We are citizens, not slaves. So-called bridge man was quickly disappeared. But a human rights group today reported that the characters that he wrote on that banner are now, funnily enough, appearing in public bathrooms across China. Because it's one of the few places that isn't really closely surveilled. You can call it the toilet revolution. Revolution comes in funny ways. I don't care how it comes. But it tells you that that spirit still lives. It's still there in this surveillance state. Think about Wuhan in 2019, where Li Wanglan, the whistleblower doctor, warned about the dangers of a new virus while the government was suppressing information about it. He died from the disease, as did millions of people around the world. And here, scores of Hong Kongers are still in jail, just like Jimmy, for refusing to submit to China's brutality, even teenagers. Cardinal Zen is being persecuted, and Pope Francis stays silent. Just this week in Beijing, a Hong Kong protesting, not in Britain, rather, sorry, UK, a Hong Konger protesting the regime was dragged inside the gates of the Chinese consulate in Manchester and beaten on British soil by the Chinese consul general. After he escaped with the help of local police, this man, Bob Chen, said, quote, it's ridiculous. We're supposed to have freedom to say whatever we want here. That was why he emigrated to the UK. Chinese Americans, they are routinely followed. They're harassed by China's thugs here in the United States, we had several incidents of this when I served at state. China is a problem. It's not just a problem for the Chinese people. COVID showed us that. Xi Jinping made his ambitions clear in his speech at that 20th Party Congress on Sunday. Here's what he said. Quote, China's international influence, appeal, and power to shape the world has significantly increased. Chinese modernization offers humanity a new choice for achieving modernization. This is, of course, a twisted, anti-human, anti-moral vision of a despot. History has seen many such men. This man, however, has a nuclear arsenal, a million-man army, the beginning of a blue-water navy, the world's second-largest economy, and networks and spies and corporate lackeys nested inside the world's largest democracies. I don't mean to paint a vision of our future is inevitably bleak. I know you're on dessert. Although I am someone who worked in media and finance and government, so I suppose you could say my cynicism is kind of ingrained. But communist regimes are inherently fragile. I mean, look at, look at China's economy today. Property markets in free fall, the banks are in crisis, their youth unemployment is even higher than France, which really you know, takes a lot of doing. <laughs> She's zero COVID lockdowns or crippling supply chains. I mean, look, we could very well wake up tomorrow and Xi Jinping could be gone. We don't have any good insights into this regime other than what the party propaganda feeds us and what our media faithfully reprints. We are, as a nation, at least now recognizing 
the nature of this regime. It's not a partisan issue. It's not a partisan concern. It's an American concern. It's a free world concern. And I think that that development to recognize what this regime is, I think it's very encouraging. And the courageous Chinese people give us reason for hope. They keep pressing for freedom through the democracy wall movement in the 1970s, the Tiananmen Square protests in the 1980s, the Charter 08 movement in the knots, the Hong Kong protests that we all watched on television not so long ago. Lord Acton was a great defender of freedom. The United States is the greatest defender of freedom the world has ever known. We as a nation can help one of the world's greatest peoples reclaim their liberty. It's something that we need to do not just for us, but for our children and our grandchildren and for the continuation of our freedoms in the future. This is the challenge. It's the challenge of our generation. It shouldn't be the challenge of the next. And I have every confidence that the Acton Institute will help to further that goal. What an honor and a privilege it is to spend time with you tonight and this evening. Don't forget Jimmy. Watch the Hong Konger. Let's all work together to help make the Chinese people as free as we are. Thank you very much. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at acton.org. Until next week, for Acton Line, I'm Eric Cohn.